Hi everybody and welcome to the Payment Genes podcast series Voices in Payments. Today we are joined by Ian Johnson and Ian is the Managing Director Marketa Europe. Ian, a warm welcome to the show. Thank you. Ian, it's great having you. Uh, Ian, like I always start my podcast is with the question, I never met anybody who woke up one day and said, I'm going to be a payment expert. How did you stumble into payments? Because your background in payments goes all the way back to ATOS by Worldline and even pre-Worldline. Correct. Yeah, I, I certainly fall into category of not somebody whose ambition was to get into payments, to be honest. So as most young uh, men in the in, uh, UK, I guess my original ambition was to be a footballer, but I ra- rapidly realized that I lacked the talent and the, uh, and the, um, and the endeavor to achieve that. So, um, it, you know, I started my career actually in international logistics. I was shipping parts for a nuclear power station in China way back when, because I'm that old. Um, I got relatively uh, relatively disinterested with that and um, and just basically uh, decided to apply for a job at, at Atos, not really knowing a huge amount about what I was getting into. Um, and then, but pretty much from the time that I started, it, I was I became quite fascinated by by payments and 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 actually just how dysfunctional payments were back then. It's a you know crazy situation where you know, faxes are being used to update accounts and to make system make changes to bank systems, which was uh, somewhat crazy. And it has to be said that up until I'd say being kind six or eight years ago. Uh, if you told somebody at uh, a party that you were in payments, you could rapidly clear the room as people moved <laughs> away from you. Um, and I don't know what happened, but somehow payments became much more interesting and exciting. I, I, I will not use the word sexy about payments because <laughs> let's, be, let's be clear about this. There's nothing sexy about payments, but it's certainly a much more interesting uh, field to be in than it was when I first started. So absolutely stumbled into it. Once I was in there, I could see the opportunities and and really, I guess, most of my career has been spent trying to work for companies that are trying to improve um, improve how payments happen, both for the consumer and for for corporate organizations. Yeah, it's an interesting development that payments become a hot topic. Um, What do you think is one of the reasons for that? I think think with the advent of... um, you know, more and more online uh, purchases, you know, through e-commerce. I think as that started to happen, um, there became more focus on payments as part of that uh, purchasing uh, transaction. So that people were investing lots of money in having the best possible website, the best way of you making purchases, trying to streamline things as much as possible. And then you get to the end and then there was this clunky, horrible payment experience. Um, and I think that uh, e-commerce disruptors in particular um, really focused on, you know, how can we make this experience much better? And that drove more innovation in payments to try to make things more seamless. Certainly started on the acquirer and a PSP side um, and then kind of more laterally on the issuing side because, um, you know, pretty much uh, up, up until not too long ago, um, you know, as consumers, we would we would basically use whatever our banks gave to us. Um, you know, a bank would say, "Here's the product. This is how it works. 
paper statements once a month. You know, forget mobile. That didn't even exist at the time. Um, and, you know, when you were buying online, you just had to put up with the experience. If you wanted to buy something, it was just what it was. Um, so, you know, I think, you know, the, those e-commerce disruptors made a, made a big change. Um, and I think that because they drove uh, trying to improve the experience, that drove um, payment companies, card companies, banks, et cetera, to try to improve the offering they were giving to consumers. And it woke us up as consumers to say, hey, you know, this isn't good enough anymore. This rubbish that you've been serving us up for 15 or 20 years needs to change. <laughs> it won't stand anymore. No, no. That's quite funny. That in recent years, through white label solutions, etc., the entire payment value chain has become less visible for the consumers. Um, but still, they are much more aware of what's happening behind the scenes. So that's a very interesting development there. Yeah, I, th I, think, I think there's a few things to, to think about that. So firstly... A consumer shouldn't have to worry about what goes on in the background. It should be simple. I, I always remember being totally amazed by Amazon's one-click purchase technology when that came in. I remember clicking it and, and going, that can't be it. And it was like, no, that is it. And I was like, that is absolutely amazing. That's seamless. That's how I want my payment experience to be. Um, I, I think the thing about having more of an understanding of what goes on in the background that's driven by because we've been made, we've been buying more and more online, and there's been more and more talk about security and privacy of data. The people have just become a little bit more aware of the Visa and the Mastercards and, and the role of these organisations in in how we pay. Um, you know, far from having to be experts, but you know, you would want to know, you know, how what's going on in the background to a certain degree because you're giving over yeah, a lot of security, security. giving over high secure information um so yeah i, I think you know it, it's been a it's been a logical journey to get to where we've got to today you know take away the friction from payments but hey whilst you're doing that make sure that my data is uh 100 secure <laughs> indeed indeed and just to make a small sidestep, because you joined Marketa in January 2018. Um, Marketa has an online platform for card issuing, both virtual and physical cards. Uh, what was you the main reason for joining Marketa? So um, I worked for I worked in payments for a long time. I worked for some some very big kind of organisations. So you, you mentioned Worldline, um, where actually uh, you know I worked with a number of the colleagues that I now have at Marketa. Um, and I worked for uh, another company in the US called Wex. Um, and what I found was that, um, that there, were, there was increasing opportunity in the payment space that required um, payment providers to be more innovative, uh, more nimble and more flexible. Um, and I hadn't worked for an organization where um, we had the technology that could really address the opportunities arriving in the marketplace. Um, and when the Marketa opportunity arose, um, I was fascinated to hear more about, you know, whether or not somebody really had um, revolutionized the way that card issuing takes place. Um, because no, I was kind of... me, from my perspective, the issuing side of the entire payment value chain was perhaps least understood by everybody working within the industry. And it takes a bit more context to fully understand next to that it was seemed like the reddest of oceans so 
fully saturated, already taken care of. So why did Marketa jump into that red ocean? Well, I think the, the interesting thing is that our original uh, intention as a company was, was to launch our own payment products. So consumer-facing payment products, the original idea being um, a payment card that would allow you to have multiple Groupon vouchers and be able to have them attached to a card and then be able to go and spend them in a more uh, simpler way. And what happened was that in building that product, which we had some success with and we worked with the likes of Facebook on, um, our founder, uh, Jason uh, Gardner, realized how difficult it was to launch an innovative payment product with, with basically what was out there, the, the tools infrastructure and infrastructure. Yeah, it was uh, terrible. So you know, if you consider a Bay Area company like Marketa, surrounded by companies like Square and Instacart and DoorDash and Affirm, all of these companies who are all looking to push the innovation in payments and financial services forward. But when they came to do that, they were faced by legacy providers with very old technology where the, the ethos of, of, the, of the legacy providers and the ethos of the kind of commerce disruptors was so different that Jason identified that actually the gap in the market was to grasp the nettle and, and deal with the essential tools and infrastructure and bring those to these innovators. Many companies of, of which when we formed and, and made this pivot didn't even exist. But he believed that um, as the more and more disruption took place, more and more organizations would look to the likes of Marketa to say, this is how we want to work. If we were going to build this capability ourselves, this is how we would build it. Um, and that's what has effectively driven our success over the years. Yeah, and, and the way that you've built it is substantially different than others. A fully open API platform, yeah. which means that everybody can access it. Everybody can work with your tools. Correct. But on the other hand, it means your, your competitors get a look behind the scenes of how it works. So that's an interesting conundrum. It was an interesting conundrum. I, I think... Um, the, the reality of the situation is the opportunity that exists from allowing people with ideas um, and innovators to build um, via an open API and to test their ideas far outweighs the risk of competitors seeing how you do things um, and essentially looking to copy those things. I mean, what we what we try to do is create a whole new category of card issuing. So we call it modern card issuing. Um, and if modern card issuing is about being open and transparent and flexible, you kind of can't do that being hidden behind a wall or by being invite only. You have to be all in. Um, and we're all in. And to, and, uh, to be very clear, it's a huge benefit to us um, because very often in the conversation with uh, companies that are looking to launch innovation, they, they've already been onto the sandbox, they've already built something, they already know that what they want to do is achievable. Um, and therefore, the conversations are much more um, about timeframes and what else needs to happen rather than you know, spending lots and lots of meeting time talking about and showing presentations about how a platform works. 
it's much better to, to try yes, to you use once it. told a fantastic anecdote about having a meeting with i think it was a french okay. neobank where you just joined marketer yeah. can you tell us a bit about that that was the realization i think where i knew that i definitely definitely made the right move so <laughs> i'd never been in a sales meeting like it before um so it was in a french digital bank um they had a couple of business people in there um, and then they had two or three people from the tech side uh, and the two or three people from the tech side, which is not unusual for people on the tech side, you know, opened up their laptops, uh, gave a very brief introduction mm -hmm. and then spent the rest of the time tapping away. And uh, this was so alien to me that I was in the meeting thinking, this uh -oh. is not going well. These, <laughs> these guys are not remotely interested in what this English person's got to say. Um, but um, at one point, one of the developers just kind of put his thumb up like that. And then the, the, the business guy said, oh, that's the developers just saying that they've been into the API and they've tested a few use cases <laughs> and that it works exactly how it says it's supposed to work. So we're all good on that front. And I was like, wow, this is, <laughs> this is going to be the easiest job in the world ever. <laughs> so, yeah. This is regards with regarding the show, Not Tell, which you discussed a few times as well before. You have to have something to show. Everybody can do talk the talk, but walking the talk in this way, uh, making sure that people can already access the platform, that it's, it offers huge possibilities. It does. I, it and makes I, a sale as well. Sorry to interrupt, but it, I think it also makes the selling of your proposition totally different than normally. 100%. And I think one of the, mo I think one of the most interesting things is, um, is where we are in, in terms of 2020 and, and the, the payment space is, there's no point each any party wasting each other's time um, evaluating technology, talking about technology, talking about projects. I need to find out at the end of it that, that there's just not a good match. Either the technology doesn't match the use case um, or the particular use case, the technology company doesn't believe there's any um, real um, opportunity around in terms of scale. So this thing about um show not tell is something that even the biggest consultants in the world the big four consultants are understanding that that's how they can engage better at boardroom level with tier one and tier two banks with major corporates which is you know they've traditionally been organizations who can produce the best and most slick powerpoint presentations in the world ever um, but ultimately at the end of it you still don't know if this thing works and how it will work, and you can't you can't touch and feel it, you can't experience it. So, you know, we work with with consultants on um, arming them with the tools to be able to go into a bank boardroom and actually demonstrate a, a transaction actually happening. Because these are things that in this day and age really resonate with people rather than tons of slideware, which still don't prove anything at the end of the day. I mean, as I've, I've talked about before, you know, you wouldn't you know you would not buy a car without being able to test drive it quite frankly um, and if you think that uh, as a personal a personal purchase for a, for a consumer a car is a big purchase but some of these some of the contracts that um tier one tier two banks sign with technology providers are multi-year multi-millions if not tens of millions contracts and often they are based on written proposals and based on um, on case studies that the, they've got from previous customers. Very rarely is it based on, actually, we've already built against this open API. We know this thing does what this company is telling us it does. So 
great believer in that. And if, and if you don't have an open API company, my view on it is, has always been, you know, if the technology is as good as you say it is, make it available for people to try it. Yeah, uh, that totally makes sense. Uh, perhaps a silly question, but that's what I'm here for. Um, when potential clients are working around in the sandbox, uh, already trying a lot of different things, when do you decide to flip the switch and say, okay, now we're going to talk contracts, start full collaboration, and as well start charging for your services? So we let people build in, um, build in the sandbox um, indefinitely. There's no point where we say that, okay, we, you know, this has to turn into something. Um, because the reality is that we are not the people who are innovating in the payments in the payment space. We're not creating the new payment products or you know, the latest on-demand delivery product. They are. They're the people who've got the ideas. Um, and, and ideas take time to come to fruition. They also, you know, they they have a they're like a river. They kind of you know they bend and you know it's not a straight line. So it takes people time to realize what's the what is the thing that we're going to take to market? So trying to rush that artificially by saying, okay, we, we've let you use the, the sandbox up to this point, but now you, you know, we, we need to change that relationship doesn't kind of work. So it, it really happens when the company um, is at a point where they, they have made their mind up that they want to launch a product. Um, and that, that's really when the conversation starts and we start to look at, okay, when do you want to do it by? Which countries do you want to do it in? And we start to build a picture and build a relationship. Because whilst the open API on the platform is the core of what we do, uh, it's you, you have to have people relationships to make these things work. Launching payment products is not a simple thing to do. We try to make it as simple as possible, but ultimately you will know from podcasts with with other companies that the ecosystem is huge yeah it's, it's very significant yeah, indeed it's also uh, there are so many different systems that are tied together uh, through mergers and acquisitions or just various companies that need to work together it's, yeah. it's a huge challenge and it well, you know part, part of our role here is um is yes allow people to build so that they can um, they can know whether or not their product is going to work and what the user experience would be like. And I would urge, you know, everybody in what industry, whatever industry, if you're providing technology service, you're providing a platform to move towards that model because it's huge benefit. But the other part of it is to be the subject matter experts to help and guide people. Um, around how to launch that product and how to navigate the different stakeholders and those connections that you mentioned because you know, we, we have a team of people who are you know, real payment experts who have been in the industry for a long time and and we have made mistakes along the way so our job is to help innovators um, to not make those same mistakes, to guide them on the path, understand not what they're trying the to do. pitfalls. Exactly did. right. And you, you know, you can't do that through API documentation and platforms. Some of that has to be through, um, through true partnership and, and talking. And that's as equally important yeah, to us. Of course. Yeah. As well, your platform has been built uh, with the idea of scalability in mind and that it's ready to serve a new purpose that perhaps wasn't thought of at the time it was developed. Yeah. 
uh, have clients really surprise you with how they use your platform and have solutions been developed that you didn't think would, would fit into the platform itself? Um, I, I, surprised. I'm not sure I've necessarily been surprised um, by some of the things that, that they've done. Um, I think one of the things that um, has become really, really um, transparent and kind of um, and obvious to us is customers really want to be able to put their own um, imprint on the products that they launched launched uh, with Marketo. So we provide the core essential tools and infrastructure, but it's what they do to, to really be creative. So I think about uh, things like kind of point of sale lending, which, you know, point of sale lending, that horrific experience if you wanted to take credit from a retailer the you know used to be form filling at the counter or whatever it might be you know chances of acceptance for a lot of people were very low especially for the stores who already have my details somewhere in the system yeah yeah indeed very expensive to the point where you know we have point of sale lending customers who you apply for a loan on their app uh, once you're approved you instantly issue a virtual card tokenized into apple pay or google pay you can go and buy the TV or whatever it is you wanted without the retailer having any clue that it was financed by a party that wasn't them. Um, and, and equally and really importantly, um, you, we have customers who want to improve their lending um, to, so they can broaden the amount of people they lend to, but they, they need to have security and they need to have trust. And they need to use their data models to be confident that they'll get the money back. So if I was to say, I'm going to buy a TV from this retailer, customers who can go and take a, a photograph on their phone of what it is they're intending to buy, that triggers the, the loan request. Um, and then when the transaction takes place, we send that information to our customer and we've got customers who are geolocating to match whether or not the re whether or not the transaction is taking place in the location that the the consumer said it is. Um, and if it is, then that's a you know high uh, high uh, degree of probability that it's they'll get paid their money back. But if it's not, they can stop the transaction from taking place. So it's it's really about that the real time information that you can give to a customer that they can make decisions on that allow them to, you know, rapidly grow their business. And in that, that credit space, that lending space is, is so ripe for innovation. It's already, it's already seen significant innovation, but, you know, cards, the cards has a huge role to play. People think about cards as being this physical piece of plastic and they, and it, it's, it, it has amazed me just how many use cases there are particularly because of virtual cards and digital wallets you know, that's the that's the piece that really pushes things forward the the immediacy of being able to open an account or request a loan and to be given a payment instrument within seconds to your mobile device be allocated the virtual card instantly yeah. i mean it's the it, it just opens up a whole raft of new opportunity and and it's it's the reason why I think cards will continue to have a significant role in digital payments. So whilst there are new payment mechanisms, so more and more B two B payment, um, sorry, bank to bank payment mechanisms that are coming out and networks, 
the, the great thing about cards is that Visa and MasterCard did this amazing job of building this huge network of acceptors. So there's very few places you ever go to that doesn't accept Visa and MasterCard. So the network, the infrastructure at site already exists. Um, whereas for bank-to-bank -bank payments, as an example, that's somewhat more challenging. So if I say that I'm going to pay you direct from my bank to a retailer's bank, how does the person in the store know that they've actually had a payment? So you have to build that infrastructure to let that happen. Whereas cards, it already exists. So what cards has done is said, here's the infrastructure, globe, true global infrastructure. How do we improve the ways that the consumer interacts with that infrastructure? So through mobile, through wearable devices, et cetera. How do we make it, how do we get away from the physical plastic card for, for consumers who don't want to carry a physical piece of plastic or in a scenario where I don't want a credit card account? So I just want the credit for to buy this purchase. one thing. Yeah. And, then, and then once that's done, that's done. Um, and, and that's and it's what as we well mean. a totally different approach to risk than if you're only issuing a card for one specific purchase versus issue a cards that can be used by anybody at any point at any time. Completely. And I think the other interesting thing on, on the lending side of things is previously, uh, if you were issuing a loan to somebody that the you apply for a loan, the loan's accepted, the money's put into your bank account. And then from that point onwards, the lender has absolutely no idea how you're using that money because the, the, there's no connectivity between your bank account and, and them as the lender. Whereas if that's issued to a card, um, the lender then gets to see how those how that money's being spent because they get to see the card transactions, they get to see them in real time. And that allows them to do a couple of things. If, firstly, um, if the funds are about to be used for something other than the loan was intended, they can stop that from happening. So because no money's actually been transferred to a bank account, yeah. they can decline the transaction. Secondly, they can build up a picture of, of you as a consumer or as an SME to, to better and then to improve their data models so that if you want further lending, they've got a much better picture of you. Because if you think about it, for, for years, the only company, the only uh, financial services organization that truly understood how you spent was your bank. So your bank account tied your debit card, your bank could see exactly how you were spending. So they were in prime position. That's changed now. PSD too. Absolutely, com completely correct. So, so these data sets are really important in improving how lenders lend. And, and, and the key thing to me is this, this next generation of lenders, yes, of course, they're in it, that they, you know, they, they're, they're not charitable organizations, they're there to make profit. But also at the heart of many of them, they do really want to improve lending and make it more available to more people. Improve the user experience of the entire purchase. Completely, yeah. Ian, you shortly mentioned that physical card versus virtual cards, yeah. and you shortly touched upon how do you see the virtual card develop? How do you see the physical card develop over the coming years? Uh, would it still be here 20 or 30 years down the road, or are we totally going to get rid of it? That is a very interesting question. Um, I, do, I, I don't necessarily think we'll ever truly get rid of it. Now, this same question people ask me about um, cash, you know, this, this desire to get to a complete cashless society. That largely depends on uh, the receptiveness of individual 
well, individuals to new payment mechanisms. So, um, you know, can I imagine my 70 year old mother walking around using Apple Pay or Google Pay? No, quite frankly, there's you know, it's it's easier, but I just can't imagine that. I think people be people grow up with using a certain payment device and they get become so embedded with it they don't want to try anything else necessarily it's so, quite funny because i was confronted with something just the other day that on the back of my phone i have a small rubber sticker where it allows you to put a few cards on the back of your phone and uh, i've i've got my driver's license mm. my public transport chip card my credit card and my bank card and i came to the conclusion that i don't remember any of the codes of my credit card or my bank okay. card, even though I carry them with me every single day. I, I only use Apple Pay and I haven't used these cards for over three years now, <laughs> but still I carry them with me every day. Yeah, it's, it's quite it's quite interesting. And this is a relatively embarrassing given what I do for a living, but this is quite often <laughs> that I, I'll, uh, we'll be, well, I've been out with the family and we decided we need to just go and pick something up from the shop. and. Um, my wife will get out of the car to walk to the shop and, and I have this habit of putting the window down and shouting, have you got your purse with you? And she just points to her Apple watch like this. And I feel like, yeah, dude, this is what you do for a living. Um, I, I think it's that thing where she's a little younger than I am. So maybe she, she she's uh, further advanced, but I just think, I think it's that the card thing is almost a fallback and a trust thing. You know, for definite that that thing has worked for decades. And maybe yeah. that's why we hold on to it. You know, there's a lot of research that said it's to do with, you know, the bre- it's something to do with the brand and the, and the definite, you know, it defines who you are by what card you carry. But it only defines who you are if you actually pull the thing out ever. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. So it's it's interesting. I mean, I, I do exactly the same thing when, when really the phone will deal with everything or the watch will deal with everything. But. And you know, we've spoken quite a lot about consumer cards, but of course they're corporate cards. And specifically, the instant issuing of virtual cards for specific purchases, for me, that sounds like a massive opportunity for corporate cards, um, specifically for companies that perhaps are not used to providing corporate cards to their employees or would like to have more control on the expenditure. Um, Do you already see a big use case for this? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely huge. I mean, um, you know, one of the things that having worked for a number of corporate organizations, one of the things that um, corporates don't like doing is giving people corporate cards. They, they're very nervous about it. And it's because typically corporate cards involve a fixed credit limit and almost no control. Um, whereas, you know, if we, if we look at what's capable, what's possible now is that if I want to go and stay in on a business trip and I want to stay in XYZ hotel, let's say in Amsterdam, one of my favorite cities, um, so I want to stay in Amsterdam. Um, my, you know, Marketa could just instantly issue me a virtual card that I can tokenize into into my phone that will cover the cost of that hotel room and that hotel room only. Um, and, um, you know, that same card number can be used to guarantee the reservation with the hotel. Um, so rather than... And that's an issue you know, I always had when making reservations for business trips. I make the reservation with my own credit card, but when I'm there, I'm paying with the corporate card and there's always a hassle. It's always a hassle. Yeah. That's not the card we have on file. Do you have the card that we have on file? Yeah. That whole conversation. Exactly. It doesn't mention your ID. It's horrific. It's a whole area that I think, um, 
I think it's a really important one. It, it allows um, it allows companies to to have more and more trust of allowing more and more people to effectively self serve. And I think that's an you know that's an interesting opportunity for people is that we've a lot of central because of trust and trying to manage budgets. There's been a lot of you know, in the travel space, you have, you know, appointed corporate travel agents who are going to manage all of your bookings. And, and yes, they do it. They do it much more than just the payment piece. Um, but ultimately, a lot of that has been to do with controlling the payment. So the payment comes centrally and there's never a need for the business traveler to actually need to have the funds. But if you can completely restrict the use of those funds and how much funds there are, it means that you have less of a less of a burden centrally of managing that whole piece because you know you're completely in control of how funds are used, how much funds are used, where they're used, etc. So it's huge, there's huge opportunity in that space. And I think interestingly, a lot, a lot, you'll see a lot of the innovation. It's already happening, but um, there's a lot more companies coming to market that are looking to serve the SMB, the B two B space. You know, consumer consumers still thriving but there's a lot of people that have identified that the sme space is is right for change and then let's talk about personal interest of mine uh, some of the recent developments with regards to mobility looking at the drive now joint venture between bmw and daimler of course volkswagen has its own car sharing service sixth recently got into car sharing but as well uh, lime and all those initiatives mm. how do you feel that virtual cards will play a part in this area uh, are these already conversations that you're having or is it something that's still developing? I think it's, it's still developing at the moment. I, I, I do think that um, the, the blurring of um, identification, payment mechanisms, um, how you enter certain, you know, your entry into whether it be a hotel room or a car through a mobile device with, you know, payment taking place at the same time. I think this this is the next evolution of, this frictionless scenario where there isn't a separate payment stream that takes place in my activity. You know, I want, I want to, I want to rent this car. This is the car. Somebody sends me, you know, I make my payment on my phone. Somebody sends me a code. I go to the car, put my phone there, car opens the way I go. Same thing with, you know, recently um, stayed over a, a hotel in uh, down in London, checked in online on my phone, get my card, digital key sent to my, my phone, just walk, bypass all of that stuff, walk straight. Oh, that's amazing. There you go. And the reality of the situation is that at some point in the future, why not that the payment and the, and the entrance into the room is exactly the same thing? Yeah, exactly. Because why it's not something use the is, same technology to open the door? Correct. There's so, there's so much that, there's, there is so much that can be done. Um, there is, it always comes down to whether or not what you're delivering brings real value to people. So will, will they use it? You know, in our in in our industry, there's so many people with so many ideas. Not all of them will come to fruition. Um, it's one of the reasons, again, why having people be able to test their ideas, see how they work, before they invest millions in them, is a really smart play for everybody in the industry. That's why. When I talk about open APIs, etc. That's why I think the more companies that do that, the, the the more great ideas and innovations will come to market, and and we'll have less of those that probably shouldn't have been invested in. 
Yeah, I agree. And sharing the knowledge that you have can can only bring each other forward. It never hurts anybody. And, Correct. Um, you also mentioned uh, frictionless payments. Um, of course, strongly related to that is SCA, uh, which will be required as of the 1st of January 2021 in most countries. How does that work on your platform? So we built we built our own um, 3DS 2.2 um, certified um, uh, platform. Um, so we did that because we wanted to um, to really give customers the best possible experience into, and flexibility in terms of how they interact with their consumers or their corporate customers. Um, you know, one of my, my view around um, SCA is that to a certain degree it's a sledgehammer to crack a nut um, and therefore the industry has had to find ways of making sure that we don't go back in time so we create this really high friction experience achievable it's certainly um, what we're bringing to market um, but equally I think it you know I think at the heart of it it's about giving consumers confidence that as more and more payments go online that they're protected. Um, you know, the, the concern from, from the retailers and merchants is, um, you know, asking cardholders to authenticate all the time is going to see large amounts of dropouts, you know, people talking about 30% dropout. And that's why you and have- Speaking these... about issuing banks that already ready to implement it, which uh, not a lot of- uh, on the that's, that's correct, that, that is right. I mean, I think um, you know, from, from our perspective, it's about taking advantage of the exemptions that exist in in SCA. It's about um, giving customers the chance to say, actually, we're confident about this transaction based on all the, you know our data um, and what we've seen from this type of customer or this particular customer. We don't need you to authenticate this transaction. Uh, and I think what what we'll find is that actually there won't there won't be that much friction created but the, but i believe that consumers will be willing to accept that friction when it exists because innovators are going to make that friction much less than it has been in the past so it won't be that horrible experience where yeah perhaps in the beginning it will definitely need some getting used to but i think as well quite quickly people will find workarounds or alternative ways in order to fulfill the SCA standards Correct. I mean, there are multiple opportunities in the SA standards for you to avoid that friction and avoid it safely. I mean, you you have to make sure that um, you know using the exemptions, um, you know your fraud rates are low, that you're using them the right um, at the right time, and that you can report on why they've been used. All of those kind of great things. Um, but I, I do agree with you. There'd be a small hump, but but it's it's been around for a number of um you know, a number of months already i know that not everyone's implemented but it's been there you know it's very often in fact i would say the vast majority of the purchases that i make my issuer um effectively authenticates on my behalf so i don't do anything um, obviously you can add to your own whitelist so you can say you know if it's from this merchant it's safe so yes the industry's had to change um and we've had to Certainly at Marketa, we've had to do that on the basis of making sure that the tools that we build 
allow our customers to retain the customer experience that they're looking to give so that we don't impose something on them where they've built this beautiful journey and the marketer says, oh, this big, ugly thing you have to Yeah, do. let's put this yeah. in the way. <laughs> I had a very interesting conversation with Spencer McLean from Ekata about how companies can make better use of the exemptions in SEA in order to just streamline the entire process and, in fact, increase the customer experience. Yeah, I think, I think, I think when you get into it, you realize that actually th there's a very large proportion of transactions that would never need to be challenged. Yeah. Um, but 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 equally um you know in order to drive more digital payments then there may be industries where actually authentication of every transaction is the right thing to do so as you get higher and higher value transactions that are being pushed through um maybe authentication is the right thing it's to do maybe what consumers and, and corporates will demand it it's here it's here to protect us correct yeah i mean that that's the thing that's the thing to to remember uh, when regulation uh, first kind of gets launched in the payment industry there is a lot of regulation um sometimes it's hard to um to see past all of the things that you have to do as a business to see why it's being done um my experience is that you know psd2 Open banking, SCA, at the heart of those things is about trying to improve customer experience, customer confidence, increase competition. Sometimes it feels a little bit clunky. Sometimes it feels a little bit rushed. But, you know, we, we have to realize that in order to encourage more and more people to transact digitally, there are more things that we need to do as an industry to make that happen. Yeah, and I always draw the comparison when GDPR was first implemented. Before, everybody was scared. It's totally going to change my business. And now it's just a given fact and everybody's working with it. Is it always the fastest, quickest, best way? Maybe not. Is it getting way of most processes? Definitely not. No, complete, and completely agree. And again, at the heart of it, you know, people wanting their data to be secure. So. Yeah, with good reasons. Indeed. And then looking forward for the coming two to three years, specifically on the virtual card issuing side, what can we expect? I think you you will just see that um, it will pop up in more and more scenarios and more and more use cases. So, you know, it, we've really scratched the surface. So um, there's no new digital bank, as an example, or um, or or kind of new lender that comes to market that doesn't have or doesn't plan to have some kind of virtual card and tokenized proposition. You know, it's a, it's almost table stakes. You open an account at digital bank, get a virtual card, tokenize it, then your physical card comes. But it, for example, in the in the corporate space, it just is not. I mean, the corporate card market, as an example, has, has barely been touched. B2B transactions have barely... Corporates have been proven not to be that agile to adapt that quickly. They're lagging behind a bit, but they'll get it. They are, they are lagging behind a bit, a bit but you know, think, things, will, things will definitely change in that space. B, the B2B payment space has been ripe for change for a very, very long time. And um, I, in every organization I've worked for, there's always been this conversation about there's a huge opportunity to disrupt and change the way that B2B payments work. The problem was that up until probably the last five or six years, the technology really didn't exist to allow that to happen. 
So people were going in and saying, let's give an example of the insurance industry. Or the insurance industry makes all these payments for claims, etc. Every or, every payments organisation for the last 15 years has been going to that industry to say, okay, what can we do? What can we do? But they're bringing the same tool bag that they've been bringing for 15 or 20 years and not bringing anything different. So what you've got now is people who are tech companies that are innovating around how claims are managed, et cetera. Um, and those tech companies, because of who they are and because they're relatively new, they could easily integrate with new payment options where that, that wasn't, uh, that wasn't feasible previously. So, um, a lot of a lot of what will drive success in terms of b2b payments is partnerships um, and that again that's something that there's growing examples of fintechs partnering with large corporate organizations examples of fintechs partnering with themselves to create a new value proposition that they can then go and take and disrupt in certain markets so i think it's a it's literally the tip of the iceberg that's been achieved so far when it comes to uh, innovation in payments. Yeah, I was also thinking about, uh, for instance, insurance companies. Why, uh, with PSD two and open banking, they can get a look in, into my the bank account, into my expenditure. So why, for instance, uh, when my TV falls off the wall um, and I have to submit a claim for that, they cannot link that through the uh, API connection that I have into my bank account to the payment from that specific uh, uh, TV and then uh, link that as well together with uh, the e-commerce website where I bought it uh, to, to settle that, uh, that amount as, as quickly as possible. Yeah, and we were, um, I was on a panel, uh, um, a conference with one of our, uh, partners at uh, Mambu, the core banking provider, um, a big office presence in, in Amsterdam, as you know. Yeah, I know. Um, and, you know, on that panel, it was really interesting because people were talking about, we were talking about open banking and the use cases for it. But open banking and access to, to financial transactions is just one tip of the iceberg. If you can get access to your utility bills, um, and, um, you know, as you said, insurance, you know, more data sets you bring in. Because the, the, for me, the real innovation and next great step in financial services is me being able to be hands off about my finances, me being able to say in my mobile phone, this is what I want to achieve for my finances. You just deal with it. So if I'm spending too much on my electricity to achieve my aim, you know, you can go and scan to see if there's a better deal for me, or you can tell me that how much I'm spending too. You know, this at the moment there's been great strides made in terms of things like saving pots and those type of things. You know, that seems like it also almost seems like old technology now. But you know, ten years ago, imagine imagine being able to do something like that or rounding up transactions. But it is literally a tip of the iceberg because the, the, the real next part of it is that if we as consumers and, and corporates can get confident enough to give more of our data to platforms and to service providers, then there's more and more that they can do to help us achieve our financial goals. And, and that's, the, that's the area I think that's most exciting. So, so I'll give you the data you make the decisions based on the inputs that I gave to you and I, and I will have the trust that at the end of the month or the year or whatever it might be, you know, my financial objectives have been achieved because I've been open. Now, coming back to the earlier conversation, you can only do that 
if we as consumers have complete trust about the security of our data, how it's being used. So some of the regulation and things that come in are essential to allow us to get to that really innovative position of not having to manage our own finances. Yeah, with regards to that, I had an interesting conversation with somebody from one of the biggest schemes um, about had your physical card. Of course, that, that number doesn't change. So a lot of websites have your number on file and they are requesting a verification of the, the validation of that number throughout the year. Um, why isn't there an opportunity either at the scheme or at the, the issuing bank to have an overview? These are all the companies, all the websites that are requesting uh, an update on your card details, uh, meaning they have your card number on file so that you can as well say, okay, I don't want them to have the, my card details on file. He of course then said hey, it's not through their platform because hey, they're only passing along the information. But also on the issuing side, I've, I haven't seen uh, that that value proposition come uh, come to mind. So just for me as a consumer to have an overview of these are all the websites that got your card on file. You know, as you say, it sounds like such an obvious thing that it makes me think somebody must have built it, but I'm not aware of who <laughs> yeah. has. But see, it's you know, the, the, as with all things, good if ideas. You're seem to be uh, think about building it. Do it. Exactly. Yeah. It's a really great point, though. We don't know what's out there. I mean, you know, my, my my bank would at least tell me that there's been an active card check that's taken place. So I know that it's happened, but I'm not listing all of those active chart card checks in yeah. a, a spreadsheet. So it's a, it's a, it's a good point. It, it, you know, it really is. And, and, and MasterCard and Visa are in a good position to do that, for sure. I think so yeah. as well. But of course, there's quite a lot of responsibility there for the issuing banks. Correct. Uh, Ian, I've been totally re-energized by issuing. I think <laughs> I've learned a lot. Uh, thanks a lot for that. I think we've covered some very interesting topics, uh, great insights and to some of the possibilities that what virtual cards can offer us as a solution for both consumers and to businesses. I want to thank you very much for being on this podcast. Pleasure, thank it was you. great having you yeah, here. It's been good, thank and you. I'm looking forward to talking again soon because I think we are... Uh, we've been talking now for 15 minutes plus and we're not done yet oh indeed indeed still lots to be done but thank you very much for inviting me you're more than welcome ian thanks a lot for being on this podcast and let's stay in touch the voices in payments podcast is an initiative launched by payment genes aimed at positively impacting the payments community by educating and connecting the market with vertical specific industry expertise we as payment genes empower the industry by focusing on the fundamentals for business growth we achieve this by providing industry-leading payments recruitment, business and data strategy consulting services. Check out paymentgenes.com for more info and please follow us on social media for more jobs, company updates, industry insights and more.